Globechain is the largest and fastest growing ESG reuse marketplace that helps companies become more sustainable, save money, and achieve their ESG and SDG targets. Globechain connects companies from the construction, retail, hospitality, and office sectors with nonprofits, small businesses, and people to redistribute unneeded items, reducing waste from going to landfill. From fixtures and fittings going to thrift stores and being upcycled by fashion students to construction material being reused to help build schools, items are requested super quickly and help generate impact to local communities. So far, Globechain has diverted over 58 million kilograms of items from landfill, and they've helped over 50 million people across the world, saving them 350 million pounds through reuse. Check them out at globechain.com. It can be easy to forget that there are obvious benefits to sustainability aside from the human and environmental ones. For instance, when you buy local and seasonal ingredients, not only does the food sometimes cost less, but it's also usually noticeably fresher and more delicious than the ingredients that are not local or seasonal. And this is the philosophy that Mario and Simon from Curtis Brothers espouse. Sustainability doesn't need to be complicated. Doing that which is common sense can make a big difference. Curtis Brothers make homemade, organic ketchup and condiments in a unique way compared to their competitors. By focusing on the flavor, they have a product that's more delicious, healthier, and far better for the environment than any standard condiment you can buy at the store. Hi, Simon and Mario. Great to have you on the Sustainability Champions podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. Good morning. Good morning. Well, um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And, and the way I like to start is by taking a step back and going from a broader perspective with basically an elevator pitch. So what is the elevator pitch, basically, of Curtis Brothers? I haven't trained that, but if I would have to do the elevator pitch, that's probably it. Because we always believe our sauces, you need to try, you need to put it on the tongue. That's much more powerful than talking about it. We really wanted to create a sauce where you feel the difference. Uh, it's naturally cooked. It's cooked. I think that's the biggest difference, not processed like every other ketchup and condiment in the world. And we put so much love and passion into this product. Uh, cooking with our friends down in Italy that at the end of the day we are very lucky that you can taste it so we can uh, talk about a lot of stories how we met the farmers how we're cooking how important the raw material is etc the problem is Daniel the world out there is so noisy and everybody's telling stories storytelling is the thing as you know and people get bored to listen so at the end of the day you just need to taste to taste it Oh, thanks for uh, thanks for demonstrating uh, by opening a bottle of of ketchup and and tasting it. Um, and so, so you mentioned that there's uh, we're talking about basically meeting farmers. We're talking about quality of ingredients. But before we go into that uh, into that side, can you share a little bit about what some of the challenges with the food industry today is? You know, why is your approach so? Why have you cho chosen to to do what you're doing what is um you know what are the challenges i think i think daniel 
the good thing is we haven't chosen anything. It was a hobby and we stumbled in. Everything we did so far was driven by common sense. We never sat around the table and said, let's map out what we need to do. No problem. So I think, Daniel, the great thing is that we never sat around the table and mapped out what we like to do and thought about what pillar our product needs to have to be successful. We are passionate foodies all come from the restaurant industry and in one year we said we want to cook some ketchup in italy it was really for us and our friends in the industry it was a hobby it was never meant to be a product and everything we did was with common sense we said which sauce did we want to have which sauce do we want to have and also there we always put taste first daniel we said we want to have the best tasting sauce and coincidentally we found out by using natural organic sustainable vegetables it it causes the best taste so we are sustainable and organic because it creates the best taste for us we didn't came from we want to change the world we want to cook organic we want to be sustainable uh, and then created the product we really came from the other way around and that's much more sustainable for us at the end because we figured out by doing the best uh, in the production by putting in the best ingredients we achieved the, the best thing on the tongue as i just showed and um, i think that's the way to go um, because then it's really deeply rooted in your in your in your values and that's where we're standing now Thanks for, um, yeah, thanks for that. And I, I, what I like about that approach is that it comes down to, um, it's a very simple, it's very simple to understand whether or not you're doing it right, because if it doesn't taste good, then clearly it's the wrong ingredient. Um, and, and it is interesting. I mean, when you go to like a farmer's market, for instance, and you have a chance to speak to farmers and, and really learn about what they're, how they're growing their food and you taste it, you know, it's, and it was picked that morning or the day before it's so fresh. You, there really is a, a substantial difference between, um, something that's been, that was picked a month ago and shipped miles and miles and miles and ripened on a truck or in the store versus something that was ripened on the vine and handpicked and delivered the following day straight to you. Yeah, 100%. And, and I think that the real problem is all this greenwashing and labeling because just because it says organic or sustainable or whatever on the bottle doesn't mean necessarily that it's good. I mean, there, there can be, and I think people misunderstand that there can be organic shit food. There is organic shit food. And I, I think what in my ideal world, we wouldn't need to have labels. In my ideal world, you as a consumer could trust me as a brand that I, that I do my best to bring you with common sense the best product on the table. But unfortunately, we lost this trust over the years and over the last decades, because in the old days, there was a farmer, he did his best, he grew his vegetable, he processed it and he, he, he sold it to you. And he did it the way how he would serve it to his wife, to his kids. And he didn't need to have a label because there was a direct interaction. I looked in your eyes, if I go to the market here in Amsterdam, and I meet the vegetable trader and, and I see his dirty hands and he comes from the field and he gives me the tomato or I don't ask him, can you please show me the certification of organic? Why would I do that? I trust the guy. 
But in the modern world, we don't have that trust and we needed to create labels for it, like a sticker vegan or gluten-free or organic or whatever, fair trade. And yes, we're using all these labels, but uh, we are always putting them on the backside of the <laughs> of our of our uh, label because at the end of the day they need to be there for the people who don't trust us i always call it that way uh for the critical consumer uh, the other one should just see this beautiful bottle and say that's a great looking bottle i trust them let's let's buy that that's my my point of view on that i think it's a really good point and 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 you mentioned at the beginning that something that a big part of what you do is you meet the farmers in order to source your ingredients can can you talk a little bit about what that process is like when, when you go and meet them and what is it that you're looking for when you speak to them? So when we started, I told you it was a passionate product and a, 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 a project, passionate project, sorry. And uh, we were very egoistic. We said it was, was a hobby. We said, where in the world do we want to go on our holiday and cook ketchup? Because we need to go on our holiday. So why not picking a nice part of the world? And we all love Duskany. So we said, okay, we're going to do that in Duskany. Very egoistic. We didn't do any research if there's the best tomato or whatever. It was just, okay, Florence is a great city. Duskany has great food and wine. Let's go there. And we checked uh, farmers in that um, uh, environment. And we found um, a farmer association um coincidentally organic but that's not what we looked for we just looked for something which has a, a nice uh, uh, environment we found it in bulgari that's the west coast of uh, tuscany or towards the west coast in castanier to carduccio and we found a, a, a processing facility which was fed by and owned by by a farmer so basically we find the tomato from somebody who is also able to process it into the ketchup and then when we said, by the way, our ketchup contains 10% apples, a couple of percent onions, garlic, can you also source that for us? He just picked up his phone very old school in Italy and called his friends. And as, his, as he was in the organic circle, the guys he called were organic farmers, coincidentally. And that's why we became organic. And uh, now um, I think we have 30-ish... Um, a supplier we don't speak italian i have an italian name sam and me always go down there with a lot of gifts and positive energy but we don't speak the language we just hired now in our year number six an italian speaking employee till then it, our business was based on we go there we hug people we write something on pieces of paper we make handshake we never made a contract and 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 we source that and we really trust them that they know what they do we we don't have a clue how to grow the best tomatoes and we don't pretend to do that i think we we middle, in the meantime have a clue how to cook the best ketchup out of it but we really don't have any know-how in the farming we just always were like okay this looks like good companies they can grow with us and sometimes also for not all ingredients daniel we can source with the romantic farmers around the corner there's some stuff we need to buy on the open market like cinnamon sticks or star anise or whatever you're not going now to to uh, asia and finding cinnamon stick traders so we don't want to pretend that we know everything from everybody but the main core ingredients which is in our neighborhood or in our region 
we try to have a, a good relation and we, 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 we try to grow with them. And for us, the highlight, and, and I will let Simon explain, like for us, this routine of going to Italy, this is why I doing this business. We cook three to four times a year. We fly to Florence. We always stay in the same hotel. Then we drive to Castagneto Carduccio. There's a routine. Simon knows it. We go to a shitty cafe on the street there because we went there on day number one. We give them some ketchup. We're buying an espresso for 60 cents or 65 cents. And we're buying some uh, biscuits for the, for the workers in the in the uh, production and we go there we bring them t-shirts we bring them because at the end of the day the only thing what we can add is energy they know much better than we so the only thing we need to make sure is that they think oh the crazy kurtiche brothers as they call us coming and they love us and yes we are not perfect we sometimes pay late or struggle or make wrong labels or whatever but we come with a good intention and we honor their product we we we're the only clients who come there. They told us nobody else comes there. They have much bigger clients than we are because it's a big production at the end for pasta sauce, pizza sauce. So we're the only ketchup client, but they produce other stuff. And we are by far the smallest, but we're the only one who show up. And we invite them for dinner. And now it's the other way around. They invite us home. And now we're not like, okay, we invite you for dinner and we take you out. Now they say your family you eat with us and i think uh, we made a long way in for me it's the nicest uh, part and simon can maybe simon t- tell the story with the cinema stick i think that's a good story with the cinema yeah stick. um so one day we had a shortage and uh, yeah supply chain issues in getting cinnamon on time so as mario mentioned our um connectivity towards suppliers and also the communication uh, leaded me <laughs> uh, to towards uh, driving the cinnamon on my own directly to the production facility because we know that we were late but ending up with uh, organizing a truck having a, a connected shipment with loading and unloading somewhere in northern Italy is way uh, time costing so just taking the the car key picking up cinnamon and drive it directly to the factory. That's something that maybe in big companies will never happen. But uh, when you start such an idea with creating your own recipe and doing everything from scratch, that's something that you really like to do. That's something that you love to yeah, bring not only cinnamon, but also joy to the production. And Simon forgot to mention he's driving a mini. So he had 200 kilos of cinnamon sticks well sorted in a mini. And he drove from Innsbruck to Castagneto Caduccio, which is a, a good drive, uh, several hours. And when he arrived and I was there already and we opened the car door, he smelled like a cinnamon stick. I will never forget that smell. It was six o'clock in the morning, uh, early shift. Uh, and uh, but this is what I meant. I really think it's a it's a working together. And yes, I think we're growing up. We're not teenagers. We're not like six year old boys playing together. We are now like thirteen year old boys playing together. And both of us grew up. And yes, it's it's, it's sometimes it's a little bit more romantic uh, went out and more professionalism went in. But I think that's the the name of the game when you're growing. But the core is that we're working together. And now, Daniel, 
to talk a little bit about something which our listeners maybe also want to to understand what is going on there. It's a very, very tragic situation for Italy at the moment because Italy didn't have a government for some time. They elected no one, but basically it's not in power. And there was nobody in charge on protecting the economy. And uh, we all know what is going on with Ukraine and Russia and the gas prices. But a lot of governments like the Germans or the Austrians or secured gas reserves. Italy didn't because they had nobody in charge. So at the moment, all production facilities in Italy, but I'm talking about ours, but um, they need to buy everyday gas on the open market. So in the morning, they look at the chart, they see where the gas price is, and they're buying gas. And uh, for us, it means the gas, unfortunately, we still need a lot of gas to cook. So we use some solar energy, we lose around 10% solar energy. But the main thing, I mean, it's big cooking pots and cooking 35 minutes uh, ketchup like you do at home, you need gas. And uh, the impact is the gas price is 10.5 times higher than last year. Um, it's incredible. And that will make all products coming from Italy. So everything you guys will eat from Italy next year, which is tomato-based, will be really, really expensive. Besides that, the tomato harvest was not the best. And the tomato price itself uh, um, raised by 35%. The sugar price, organic sugar, raised by 65%. So unfortunately, all romantic products, organic products from Italy, will be very, very expensive uh, next year. And then we're going to see if the consumer is swallowing that and say, I believe them. I believe that these guys don't fuck me over. Let's still buy the good tomato sauce from Italy, although it's maybe... 50, 60% more expensive or downtrade to whatever shit else is in the shelf. And I think this will be an interesting year. Let's mm. put it that way. I'm just going back to the very first thing you said, Mario, about what makes uh, Curtis Brothers, or, or as your Italian friends say, Curtice Brothers, uh, different from... Uh, from the other brands and and you said it's the word cooked rather than processed so what exactly what does cooked versus processed mean so the the good thing is when you disrupt uh, an industry you're normally an outsider you come in and you have no idea so thanks god nobody of us had any idea how to cook a sauce so when we start cooking ketchup we started cooking at home so because you need to start with a recipe idea uh, we have professional kitchens and we 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 cooked at home and when you cook a ketchup at home what do you do you take tomatoes you cut them you take apples you cut them you cut onions you cut all of the ingredients these beautiful ingredients you put in the herbs you put in water you put in vinegar you put in sugar as much as you need i would say and you cook it and you cook it for 35 minutes, 40 minutes, you cook it down and then you process it. And then you have a beautiful sauce. And this was the only way how we knew to cook ketchup. And we developed the recipe first at home. I told you all of our friends and ourselves are restaurateurs. Then we went to the restaurants, much bigger kitchen, but we did the same, just with bigger scale. 
we cook 10 liters, 20 liters, 50 liters ketchup, still the same. And when we went to Italy and found our farmer, he said, what's the recipe? And we gave him the recipe. And he said, but no, but you know that ketchup is not cooked that way. And he said, what do you mean? And he said, everybody else in the market, from the big guys, the brands we all know, till the small guys, you also know, especially in UK, there's a lot of small ketchup brands. They all do the same. They take a tomato paste, they take uh, water, they take um, spice mixes, um, they take sugar, and they cook it up for one, two minutes, and that's it. And we cook from scratch. And by doing that, first of all, it's very stupid what we do because 20% of the stuff uh, is going into the air. So 20% of our beautiful ingredients, they just smell. Every time when we drive towards the La Dispensa, you smell us basically a kilometer away, you smell ketchup wow. because we're cooking it, and which is very stupid, but it has a different profile. So I think... We can argue back and forward what is better. Obviously, we believe our ketchup is better and the great taste of what confirmed it five years in a row that we're the best ketchup. But it's very different. I think this, this is clear. And, and the reason why we did it is we were so scared to change our recipe because we said, finally, after two years, we figure out how our ketchup should taste. Now we know it. And now somebody else is telling us Oh, by the way, you don't do it that way. So we made our producer rebuilding our production, and Simon can explain in a second, in big scale. So we had a small cooking pot. They have a 1,000 liter cooking pot. We cut the onions by hand. They cut it with the machine, but it's the same thing. And every time we try to touch that process and said, okay, it's really expensive. It takes long. We said, yeah, but what if it doesn't, like, we don't know others. Like, we don't know how Heinz and Stokes, and we don't know how they do that. So we just need to do <laughs> what we know. And uh, now we got quite good in perfectionizing the steps, but they're still the, the same. And Simon got hired by us because he wrote his thesis in his master's thesis about basically the cooking process and how to optimize that. And then uh, now he joined us and uh, yeah, I'm not sure, Simon, do you, do you think we made a huge progress since you joined us in making it better or it's still as, as bad as it was when you joined? In terms of quantity, definitely. Um, <laughs> we, we, we grow a lot. Um, in terms of quality, I think we found a way to ensure that the quality from first production till today is still on a high level. Do we have potential to be more efficient and also more sustainable? I think yes, but also I think that no matter what food production you are in, there's always a way to optimize things and be more sustainable. But I also would like to connect on the things that Mario said in the beginning while connecting towards our supplier. I think as a consumer, you also have to be aware that around 70% of the CO2 emissions that happens in food productions, they are already coming from either land use, from farming, and Mario also mentioned harvesting. So harvesting, no matter what type of fruit or vegetable you, you are processing, is quite a process that is uh, intense in, in energy use. And then if we have a big um, outlook in, in, in the 
um, CO2 emissions of the full food industry, only 10% is like really emitted from end consumer, meaning creating waste and consumption. So we have a gap in between that we can focus on, but the big chunks, they are already on raw material supply. And maybe that's also a thing that the Curtis Brothers accidentally maybe did right from the beginning by being naive and just going to Italy and look for right tomatoes. But you also have to know that the tomatoes do not travel that far. So we are already saving lots of emissions and energy costs there. Um, and that's, I think, what we are doing right now. And yes, we can do better, but we're doing a couple of things right. Thank you for that. I think it's, it's a, as you said, Simon, there's always room for improvement. And it's, it's, you're constantly learning and finding ways to optimize the process and, you know, use, um, make more out of fewer ingredients and, and really ensure that there's less waste. Um, but it's a process, you know, it's every, every day, if you can improve by a little bit, then after a decade, you've, you've done a lot. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know in terms of um, the way that you're, you're making the sauce instead of the word processed, because at least from a health point of view, the word processed, you typically don't like, it's, it's said it's not good to eat processed food. And that's something that Curtis Brothers does not do. You don't process anything. So have, can you, oh, um, can you talk at all about the, um, the health aspect? So, yeah, Daniel, you were asking about health uh, benefits and aspects about our products, what we are doing different uh, compared to, to the industry. And Mario already mentioned that we are the one cooking our ketchup. But also, when you start thinking and rethinking an existing product and you want to uh, do some revolution in the supermarket shelf, you also have to think what benefits you can offer to customers. And we always had the thinking that first of all, you expect as a customer by buying tomato ketchup, you're expecting quite an amount of tomato inside of the jar. So that's where we also have started using as many tomatoes as possible because tomatoes is a fruit that brings already a couple amount of sugar into it. So of course you need a bit more sugar to get a shelf stable product after opening the jar. And the um, question was, how can we get the additional amount of sugar to, to ensure the shelf stability? Um, and we decided using apples, for example. So we have nat natural occurring fruit sugar and only the last piece of sugar that we need to ensure stability, that one is coming from refined sugar. But we always try to keep that amount as low as possible. And the same applies to salt intake. So these definitely make differences in our product compared to other competitors. And Daniel, what was so shocking when we when we stumbled into the ketchup industry, at the end, why we really did it is we found out how much sugar it is really in our main competitors. And there is nobody having under 25, uh, 20%. So most of them have 23, 25 in in, in UK, the, the main brands even have more. There's one brand which has over 30% sugar. But what was really, really shocking is how little tomatoes are in that uh, bottles. And when we started cooking by ourselves, as it is called tomato ketchup, we put in a lot of tomatoes. And our recipe at the end is very simple. It's 77% tomato. It's 10% apples, 10 
6% added sugar and the rest is a lot of herbs and uh, vinegar and, and spices, etc. And when we started, we put 77% tomato on the bottle because we were so proud. And I thought it's like chocolate. The more uh, percent you have, the bad it is. And people looked at us and said, what, only 77% tomato? Because they didn't know how bad the others are. Because all the big brands out there, I will not tell, tell the names now, but there's a few big <laughs> brands. They have under 20% tomatoes but they have 25% sugar. So when we did that, it obviously comes with a lot of consequences. The, the apples add the, 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 the sugar, but what they also do, we don't cook with apple puree, we cook with real apples, with the skin, because under the skin, the pectin, they help at the end with the consistency, because Simon um, mentioned, I think there's two things on the ketchup which are important. The balance between acidity and sweetness, that's the art of ketchup, I would say. And that's by the big guys only mastered with vinegar and sugar. But that's the two things. We are mastering it because we need to cook every year our ketchup from scratch because we cook from the raw materials. So if the harvest, if the tomato has more sugar, we can reduce. So it's like a cuvee, I always say. Our ketchup production is like making a good cuvee. It will never be exact the same as the year before. But if you like our direction, it's very similar. And um, so we we have the art. And so always one of us needs to be down there because at the end of the day, we need to say, we need to do what I just did before, put the figure in and say, that's it. Like a good chef tastes his sauce. It cannot be 100% streamlined. Um, but we had the apples for the pectin. Two things are important for the ketchup. Balance between vinegar and sugar or in our case acidity and sweetness and we play with other things and the consistency because ketchup has to have a certain consistency on the day on the plate and i think this is the most tricky thing to master if you don't process food if you process food you can give in a lot of shortcuts or cheating how to do that if you only work with natural ingredients and this is really took us a long time, and Simon can explain a little bit about that, to master the, 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 the consistency of that product. So maybe you want to say a little bit more about that process, because I think that's very important to, yeah. to understand. So I think there are a couple of mechanics and also um, artificial uh, ingredients that might help for stability. But you first of all have to have a look that if you want to do organic, you have to be aware that you're working with natural products. And as we also learned from the beginning, every harvest is different. So we have to manage a high amount of tomato that can differ from harvest to harvest and still get the same taste profile in the end of the day. So of course you can set up a cooking process and repeat it each time the same but if the harvest is different perhaps you need to adjust a little time um, in terms of cooking here or um, a little yeah squeeze of acidity there to ensure that the outcome will be the same as last year so these are the steps that we can take but our aim is still to be 100 natural and having a, a product with proper quality standard 
I really like the the thought that each year the sauce tastes slightly different. Obviously, you're using approaching it with the same philosophy, and and you know you have your a very specific product in mind that you're aiming for, but nonetheless, um, it's going to be a little bit different because the harvest is different. And and sounding like you were saying, you may have to add a little bit extra acidity here, or you know you have to start playing with the dials to get as close as you can. But it's a very, it sounds like it's a very human process rather than a machine process. And so um, there's something quite organic in that. Uh, and I mean, organic, not in the sense of no pesticides, like um, mm-hmm. but it's it's an organic process that is, um, well, it's an art really much more than a science in, in many ways, I would think. So I'm I'm really enjoying these these stories. I, I I'm really curious to know what some of your future plans are as far as um, are there any in, innovations that you're going for, any new product lines, or perhaps any um, ideas on how to make the process more effective or efficient. Any, anything that you you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, that's a very controversial topic, and I'm not sure how it lands with all of your. Um, uh, listeners so we maybe piss off somebody but we came with the idea always the class is the best is the best is the best and uh, then we found out that class has a lot of difficulties first of all ketchup is consumed by kids and by families and mothers wrote us and called us up and said you have such a great ketchup but i cannot hand this bottle to my five-year-old six-year-old because we have a very wide opening, it's very difficult to 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 really portion it, even for a a grown up. And there's one study, very interesting study, Daniel, that basically kids between five and ten, the only thing they're allowed to choose on the plate is the amount of ketchup. So the mom cooks something, puts it there, and the kids normally don't like season by themselves and fry and pepper or salt like what we do as a grown-up. They get the bottle of ketchup and they make like that. And the amount of ketchup is basically their customization, so to say. And kids love that. And um, also a lot of our friends have kids and they all said, your product is great, but we need a squeeze. And I'm have not the the background as Simon have and my instinct was always plastic is bad plastic is bad squeeze is bad we cannot do that we cannot do that we cannot do that till we learn that we can do that and we will come out uh, to the market it's a 3d model so it's a beautiful shaped bottle um it's empty obviously because we fill it in february and we do two things there first of all we make a product which is usable for families and squeeze we make it a little bit bigger that the packaging costs are per milliliter not so expensive because we learned just how much that is. We talked about gas prices. So we tackle the product. It's usable for kids. It's a little bit better and therefore more affordable. And then we made one thing, and I'm not sure how our consumer and our fans will react, but we made one important step. This product line will stay in is our premium organic line. And this is not organic. And that's a very brave decision because we're buying from the same environment. We're buying everything there. It's the same nutrition facts. It's the same process. But we believe that the recession will put a lot of pressure on the consumer. And we can put that product out for one euro cheaper. And one euro cheaper 
doesn't sound a lot, but it's like per milliliter 50% cheaper. And we thought, okay, maybe for the next one, two, three years, this product is just too expensive. Maybe people would like to buy it, but cannot buy it or don't want to afford it. So we can still produce a great ketchup with all the stories, the nutrition facts, the same thing. But we, as you know, when you go shopping, organic ingredients are a tick more expensive and we, we, we are doing that. So I think it's a very brave move. Um, it's driven from a good heart. Uh, we want to have a ketchup which is used by families and kids. We want to have a bigger packaging that the packaging costs are per milliliter lower in relation. And we wanted to have an affordable product. So this product next year you will find on the shelf for $3.99. This you will find for $2.99. Um, but the price for the consumer is 50% less on milliliter. And we hope that first of all, we find more uh, uh, consumers out there with this one. And, um, and then I think uh, that's the role of Simon not to, to uh, elaborate on that. We also learned that the holy class, which every uh, not educated consumer as I always think it's the best, is not so good. And this may be, be even a better uh, packaging. So maybe Simon, you want to say a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, once it comes towards uh, product development, you can do a couple of things before and during production. I mean, we talked a little bit about, <clears throat> about the suppliers, but then, the second step that you have to think about is also transportation, logistics, and recyclability. Of course, in between there is the direct consumer, but you have to be aware that, for example, a bottle that is filled, or a tomato ketchup that is filled in a plastic bottle, yeah, ends up with a lower weight uh, on a pallet compared to a glass bottle because the glass itself is quite heavy to transport and Unfortunately, there is no system available for ketchup bottles that can be returned in a supermarket and be reused. So each time we are using a glass bottle, it has to be melted and has to be created from scratch again. And uh, I mean, you can recycle plastic bottles as well, but they are way lighter and we can transport way more product. Meaning we also reduce CO2 emissions on transport and also for customers' perspective, we are reducing CO2 emissions because the recycling process of the plastic bottle that we use uh, needs way, more, way less energy uh, compared to glass. So if I have a conversation with friends uh, on the table during dinner, I always say there are three measures that can be taken by direct consumer. Avoid, reduce, and recycle. So you as a customer, you should yeah, probably rethink about uh, products that you're taking out of the shelf, checking the packaging. Do I get as much product as possible while having a light packaging that still uh, ensures durability of, of the final product? Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I think um, the, the knee-jerk reaction is to think, well, why would you go from glass to plastic because plastic is bad? But as uh, the more of these conversations that I have with, with people um, 
who really think about these things and make these decisions. Um, you know, it's obviously something you put a lot of time and research into before making the decision. That's why you're using the word brave, I imagine, because you you realize how it how it looks and you know what the what the concerns are. But the more the more you research it and the more you think about it, the more I think it it becomes obvious that it's not as straightforward as it seems. It's not just you're going from glass to plastic, that's bad. It's it's not black and white. Not at all. It, it's not even it's not even close to black or white. It's extremely gray. It's very much right in the middle of actually it's a very, very nuanced decision. And what ends up happening is you have to start figuring out where are the trade-offs. Um, because you're absolutely right, Simon, um, glass is a lot heavier than plastic. And I, I didn't think about that until you just mentioned it. And so, um, yeah, you, you actually are saving a lot of uh, fuel by using plastic instead of glass because transportation, um, you know, the heavier the, sh the shipment is, the more fuel it uses. And it, so, I mean, it's, it's a big trade-off and, and that's a decision that has to be made. And I personally believe uh, plastic is an incredible material and it, it needs to be used, I suppose, responsibly. Um, and it needs to be thought through responsibly. Um, there are some instances where plastic just doesn't make sense. It's a very convenient material to use and it's the cheap one to use, but you know, from an environmental perspective, 100%. There, there are alternatives that are better. And I think Daniel, what we can do is uh, because internally we really we are very value driven company, and for us the the biggest filter to a decision is our our brotherhood, so to say. And it took a lot of time and education from Simon towards me to the shareholders to our team because we're so value driven, and everything we do we need to connect and 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 and, and be convinced. And Simon has a very uh, easy graphic to read, which we're going to share with you, Daniel, and you maybe want to, to share with the listener, which really shows the packaging material with the impact on carbon footprint, et cetera, what is mentioned. And once you see this graphic, and it's not done like we don't have the money to base a, a study, it's done by a proper German institution. Um, and uh, Simon will mention that when he sends it over. And you really see, as you said, it is a it is a a, a gray um, uh, thing. But if you apply common sense, and you ever are in a glass production, and everybody of you can Google it and go on YouTube and find that, if you see the massive energy of what is needed to create glass, and Simon just said the magic word, melt glass. Yeah, try to melt the glass at home. Good luck, you need a lot of heat to do that. Uh, and, and then you see, this is all done by gas in that country is what it's done. That much more energy consuming. At, uh, and if we talk about, I, we all don't know how long the crisis is now, but to waste energy, to melt glasses and make glasses, I'm also not sure if that's the best use of the current energy situation and yes we could say yes but you could melt the glasses with solar and wind and yes in theory probably but in these countries where class productions are in bulgaria in egypt there is no such things there is gas and you can like it or don't like it it's a glass is not produced in netherlands where there's enough wind energy it's just not here so I think common sense, and we come that it's one of our core core values, um, is really to apply common sense. When we cook the ketchup, and I come back to this original thing, we never thought how much sugar do we need to put in, 
uh, to be healthy or this we just cooked and added a spoon of sugar we tried it oh it's not enough we put another one in and we ended up in six percent added sugar which is very low compared to the 25 but what i want to say is we did it with common sense it's just not needed more it's it's perfect as it is and if you apply this common sense what would you do for your own family, for your own friends, and you apply that on packaging decision, on decision, how you ship something, how you react. And I think if you're not a weirdo, uh, if you're a normal person and you apply common sense, you end up by being a sustainable company. The only time when you deviate from that, if somebody takes out the calculator or the, the pen and calculate and say, oh, you know, common sense, this is the right thing, but you know, we can save like 10 cents here and 10 cents there. But the moment you have that, then you maybe deviate and make wrong sustainable decisions. As long as you use a philosophy, what your grandmother or mother or father would have used, you normally 80, 90% end up to be sustainable because our instinct is to do the right thing. Just when you grow and become a corporation, and need to serve shareholders and profitability, then shortcut comes. And shortcut leads to unsustainable decisions. It's an interesting point. And yeah, I think it's that's um I, I have heard this idea of, you know, think think about what your great grandparents or great grandparents would do in terms of decisions, you know, just around the house about how you would throw something away. Would you throw it away? Would you reuse it? Uh, and, and when you approach it that way, um, you don't need any, you know, complicated graphs or charts or, or algorithms. It's just a kind of, like you say, common sense uh, decision. And with that in mind, um, I, I'm curious to know, are, are you optimistic about the environment and the future? There's a lot of sustainability champions. Our philosophy is that there's a lot of doom and gloom in the media about the environment. Every time you read the news, there's always bad news about things going on. Uh, but what, what we do is we show that there's actually a lot of people all over the world who are finding amazing ways to, maybe it's little little ways, sometimes they're really big ways, but there are just so many people who are finding ways to protect and even heal the planet and the environment. Um, so. I'm, I personally am very optimistic and I'm, I'm curious to know if, if, do you share that? Do you have optimism? And, and if, if you are, why are you optimistic about the future? Simon. Yeah. Um, I'm always optimistic because if you have a look backwards in history, it was always technology and new innovations that uh, brought humanity into a new level of productivity, for example, but also uh, maybe in sustainability and if you have a look into what's happening in the food industry right now and I also like to to have a look more uh, towards Asia because uh, these countries there are more technology driven in terms of um, direct consumer and um, maybe with corona we also had a little support uh, because people start using QR codes and with a QR code you can transport a lot of information not only from supplier towards um, industry, but also from industry towards end customer. And I think with this type of technology, we have more transparency and we also have a proof um, that someone is doing something. 
And I think at the moment, we might not have a standard in measuring different sustainability approaches. But once there is a standard, also customers understand way more about this topic. And at the moment, I'm always thinking what we can do, um, what, what can we do as a producer to give information towards customer. And we are already doing a podcast here, for example. And it's kind of educating, maybe, in a couple of uh, topics, but also sometimes people keeping the facts in their mind. And then they also get to know with better decisions that they take. And that's what's driving me optimistic. Yeah, well, thank you for that. And, and I agree. And, and that's the amazing thing about technology is it, especially in, in the context of what you just said, is the more information that's available, it could go either way. I mean, there's also a lot of negative information that's being spread around, but the positive side and, and demonstrating all of the wonderful things that are happening and, and sharing the stories of different companies, you know, from industry to consumer, as you said about, here's what we're doing to make a difference. Um, it's, it's clear that there are a lot of people who are, who are doing that. So um, I'm glad to hear. Daniel, I was, I was, I'm, I'm more of a pragmatic guy and I don't have the, the education and depth of understanding all of that uh, from a scientific perspective as Simon, but I, I draw something because I'm a huge believer in, in flip charts. And if you can see that, I believe what happens at the moment is that you have a few smart people, one or two geniuses who really can make a difference by inventing things. And if here's the solution, there is one or two geniuses and we could lean back and say, let them do and somebody like Elon Musk or a modern Leonardo da Vinci or whatever will come up with the magical solution or let Greta Thunberg solve the problem or whatever. And I think that's one way. And there's a handful of smart people doing that, or maybe it's 10 or 20, but that's us consumer, millions, billions. Yeah, And I truly believe we can only create a solution if both sides uh, work. And I think I'm not one of these here. So I'm one of these here. And um, we do at home as much as we can. And we also, as we have a huge network and we have, I don't know, a couple of thousand followers and friends, we share that. And if all of us act with common sense and shop locally, shop regionally, don't take plastic in the supermarket, buy on the market, carry it home. Not everything needs to be back. Just throw it in a, in a basket and carry it home. Ignore BBD. I'm a huge, like, I, if I can do something, I would forbid BBD. I think BBD is the worst thing ever in this. Mario, what's, uh, um, what's BBD? Best before that date. Best before date. Because, unfortunately, there's so many uneducated consumers, and there's a big company, and it's not the company's fault, so let's say whatever, Nestle or whoever, who prints a BBD. And the uneducated consumer says, oh, it's like one day after, so they just throw it away. Like there's so much food waste by that. Uh, but unfortunately, all these companies, all of us need to apply PBT. But it's always, it's still eatable the next day and the next week, just like try it yeah, and figure it out. And I think this common sense, like if I buy something on the market, there's no fucking DVD. Somebody gives me cheese, puts it in a box and that's it and figure it out how long it takes. Yeah, How long it takes well. So also, their common sense, as you said, like, did our grandfathers, great-grandfathers had a BBD? No. 
they tried it. If it was not good, they gave it to the animals. If it was really bad, they made this throw it away. But most of the time they ate it. And um, so buying regional, very important. I think each of us can do that. And by common sense, reduce a carbon footprint, strengthens the local farmer. I mean, that has so many impacts. Buying seasonal, there is no need to eat a strawberry in December. Eat it when there is a season. Uh, and there's a lot of brands like Italy, for example, they, they, they're selling the, the, the calendar. So instead of having every month just the dates, okay, which vegetables? Because I also don't know. I don't know what is seasonal in July, but I know because I go on the market and whatever is the cheapest thing on the market, that's probably the seasonal thing. That's why it's so cheap. So, Makes sense. Uh, and also that is common sense. Go on the market, find the cheapest vegetable, eat that, buy it local, uh, carry it home in whatever uh, you, you feel like, tote bag or, or whatever. Don't take plastic and then eat it. And if there's something left, eat it the next morning and, and don't trust the BBD. And I know that sounds much more simple than a crazy genius who now invents something which will solve the problem. But it needs both. I truly believe in that graphic. It needs both. Um, and it needs smart people who challenge us, uh, like Simon in our team and like others who come more from a scientific approach. And it needs people like me and others who have the common sense and challenge that. There's a lot of good stuff there. But um, I think actually just since we are over time, I think this is, a, is this, that's a, it, what you were saying is a great place to end because ultimately you're, you're absolutely right. There is a I, I think a lot of the environmental and sustainability questions can be answered with common sense, with um, really reconnecting in some ways with, with nature. Um, because like you said, you know, seasonal food, um, that's reconnecting with nature, but we're so disconnected from the food process now that it's hard to know. You know, when you live in a city, you don't know um, what's growing in the fields, even if they're only, you know, 30 kilometers away from, from where you are. Um, but I, and, and yeah, I think Mario that, you know, what you just said is um, it, it makes a lot of sense and it's a, it, it's a perfect recap. Uh, it captures everything that, that we talked about. So um, yeah, thank you both very much for your time and for going through this. I, I personally, I'm really looking forward to tasting uh, your sauce, which reminds me, last question is where can people actually try Curtis Brothers ketchup? So I think it, first of all, thank you. It was really a lot of fun and uh, I am sorry for some technical uh, issues, but uh, I believe in imperfection uh, <laughs> everywhere. I think imperfection makes us human. So sorry to the listener and you guys. Um, actually, we, we try also there to be as local as possible and we trying to be in as many local stores. So depending on the country where you're listening from, we are an Austrian company and we started in Germany to sell in Germany you really find us everywhere so to say uh, online and offline uh, in UK there's a few small uh, uh, retailers but what is always the 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 first try is go to our website first of all you find the stock is there and you find your local web shop so uh, we always have to back up there's no excuse not to try us uh, there is a own web shop in UK there's their own web shop in Germany uh, for all the 
other countries we are on amazon um we are in a lot of restaurants and hotels that's where we're coming from so we're in a lot of the hoxtons of the world and uh, and uh, funky boutique hotels and uh, nice restaurants um where you can find us uh, online and uh, also the stock is you find and for you daniel uh we, <laughs> we we're gonna send you a, a package you guys will all find us on uh, we are very uh, transparent you you find simon on me on linkedin on facebook on instagram so if you cannot find ketchup just drop us a message we're very generous normally unfortunately too generous in sending out free samples so don't don't tell anybody but there might be a way to get some ketchup to try excellent well thank you very much again for both of your uh, both of your time and um, it, it was a lot of fun talking and learning about how you're how you're making ketchup completely okay. differently from the rest of the industry and in that process you're kind of re redefining the way you can even think about uh, something like a condiment so uh, best of luck and and I hope that the common sense thinking carries you very far and and continues to inspire other people Thank you so much for all your time and, and, and bearing with us uh, through some difficulties. And I hope it uh, it, it, it still brings the mes message to us. It's very important to share our experience and also encourage people to go your own route. And mm -hmm. I think just if you have an idea, follow through. Uh, disruptions are always coming from a from a disruptor. The disruptor normally don't have any clue about what they're doing. So I just can encourage everybody who is passionate about something, don't stop because you you think you have no clue. I think it's a huge strength. Take your naivety, yeah. take your passion, follow through. Globechain is the largest and fastest growing ESG reuse marketplace that helps companies become more sustainable, save money, and achieve their ESG and SDG targets. Globechain connects companies from the construction, retail, hospitality, and office sectors with nonprofits, small businesses, and people to redistribute unneeded items, reducing waste from going to landfill. From fixtures and fittings going to thrift stores and being upcycled by fashion students to construction material being reused to help build schools, items are requested super quickly and help generate impact to local communities. So far, Globechain has diverted over 58 million kilograms of items from landfill, and they've helped over 50 million people across the world, saving them 350 million pounds through reuse. Check them out at globechain.com.